the unknown. Mystery. Space. Have fun. Adventure. Suspense. Fantasy. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror. Welcome to journey number 165 of the Journey Into podcast, featuring Murder Mysteries, adapted from a story by Neil Gaiman, as presented by Seeing Ear Theater. I am your guide on this journey, Marshall Latham, coming to you from Base Camp in the Treasure Valley. Hello, everybody. We're here for another old-time radio show, uh, but this one isn't so old. Uh, Seeing Ear Theater was an internet-based drama troupe. They called themselves a troupe. But they were trying to capture the feel of old-time radio uh, with new technology, which was kind of innovative at the time. It, it ran from 1997, and it ran to 2001. And it was on the old sci-fi.com website, which doesn't exist anymore. Uh, but it was, yeah, it was an attempt... To capture the old-time radio feel in the internet age. Or the beginning of the internet age. As with all of my old-time radio episodes, uh, this was a poll that went up on Patreon. And all the members of my Patreon were able to vote on this. So Murder Mysteries was up against uh, The Country Doctor, which was based on a Franz Kafka story. It featured Mark Hamill as the narrator. It also went up against Orson the Alien, The Untold Story behind the War of the Worlds, and it was loosely adapted from the War of the Worlds as written by H.D. Wells and as broadcast by Orson Welles, not related, <laughs> as you probably know. And it also featured the voice of Walter Koenig, who of course was Chekhov in Star Trek. And it also went up against A Good Night's Work, which was based on a short story by Robert Block, which was kind of a reversal of Mark Twain's Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court, and that featured the voice of Tony Danza. <laughs> that one didn't get any votes. Uh, the other th three stories did receive votes, and Murder Mysteries received the most votes. So that's the story we're going to present to you today. Murder Mysteries uh, features the voice of Brian Dennehy, who was a tremendous, I'd say mostly character actor, but he did have a bunch of TV movies that he was the lead actor on. But I remember him mostly from First Blood, where he was the sheriff of the town where all the action went down. And uh, from Silverado, he played the bad guy in that movie. And I've always enjoyed uh, him as an actor. Uh, the other voice that's featured here is Michael Emerson. And at the time, I don't know if anybody would have known who he was. I think this was before Lost came out. But Michael Emerson uh, played Ben Linus on Lost. And that's kind of you know, what gave him his break. Later on, he went to be one of the leads in Person of Interest. And I've seen him in many other things, and I think he's a tremendous actor as well. I don't know if his acting is featured real well here, but definitely now a recognizable voice. 
So this story definitely doesn't lack for, for acting ability. Of course, Neil Gaiman is a well-renowned fantasy author. I guess he's not purely fantasy, but I think most of the stories that I've ever read or experienced <laughs> could be classified as fantasy. A lot of magic systems, a lot of other worlds, but not in a science fiction-y way, but other dimensions, those kinds of things. Uh, you may know him from the uh, Sandman comic book series, which I believe is going to be made into a, a television series uh, very soon, or is in the process. Uh, Stardust, American Gods, Coraline, The Graveyard Book, uh, Mirror Mask, uh, just tons and tons of stuff. So I guess I should warn you that in the beginning piece of this story, there is a little bit more of adult content than I usually uh, present here on the podcast. So I did want to put a warning in for that. But this is a long story, so we should probably jump right into it. I just have to set up my Wamper Dime temporal radio tuner here, and we'll be good to go. So come with me, and let's journey into the heavens before the world was. Well, not at first, but anyway, you'll see. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. You are being watched. Now listen, hard ass. As things stand right now, you're facing the ass end of a 90-day incarceration plus a $250 fine, which you don't look to me like you can pay. At 10 o'clock tomorrow morning, you're going up in front of that judge. And you think we're tough. Now, we're going to make you a little bit more presentable for your courtroom appearance. Now, between now and then, you can just impress the hell out of me by doing exactly as you're told. I watched my daughter, Alex, die in front of me. And it was my fault. I had a chance to save her. But I chose the island over her. All in the name of Jacob. I sacrificed everything for him. And he didn't even care. An original presentation from America's premier audio theater group, Seeing Ear Theater. This is madness.
This is all true. Ten years ago, give or take a year, I found myself on an enforced stopover in Los Angeles, a long way from home. It was December, and the California weather was warm and pleasant. England, however, was in the grip of fogs and snowstorms, and no planes were landing there. Each day I'd phone the airport, and each day I'd be told to wait another day. This had gone on for almost a week. I was barely out of my teens. Looking around today at the parts of my life left over from those days, I feel uncomfortable. As if I've received a gift, unasked, from another person. A house, a wife, children, a vocation. Nothing to do with me, I could say, innocently. If it's true that every seven years each cell in your body dies and is replaced, then I have truly inherited my life from the dead man. And the misdeeds of those times have been forgiven and are buried with his bones. I was in Los Angeles, yes. On the sixth day, I received a message from an old sort of girlfriend from Seattle. She was in L.A. too, and she had heard I was around on the Friends of Friends network. Would I come over? Hi, this is Tink. You know what to do, and you know just how to do it. Hi, Tink. It's me. I'd love to see you, yes. I left a message on her machine. Sure. That evening, a small blonde woman approached me as I came out of the place I was staying. It was already dark. She stared at me as if she were trying to match me to a description, and then, hesitantly, she said, Are you Tink's friend? Guy she met in England? That'd be me, yes. I'm her roommate. Car's out back. Come on. She's really looking forward to seeing you. The car was one of those huge old boat-like jobs you only ever seem to see in California. It smelled of cracked and flaking leather upholstery. We drove out from wherever we were to wherever we were going. So how'd you meet Tank? Bit of a cliché. We met in a pub, actually. Yeah, I knew that already, she told me. I said you're crazy. You don't know anything about him. She said, Dorothy, he's English. I said, no offense, on Jack the Ripper was English. Thanks. How far away is the house? I'm afraid I'm lost already. Oh, it's a big city. Well, yes, but so is London or Paris and New York, and I never seem to get lost in them. I suppose it's because you can walk around them or catch a subway, but L.A. doesn't seem to work without a car. Well, they're building a subway. I don't know who's going to take it. Los Angeles was at that time a complete mystery to me, and I cannot say I understand it much better now. Memories of L.A., for me, are linked by rides in other people's cars. No sense there of the shape of the city, of the relationships between the people and the place. The regularity of the roads, the repetition of structure and form, mean that when I try to remember it as an entity, all I have is the boundless profusion of tiny lights I saw one night on my first trip to the city from the hill of Griffith Park was one of the most beautiful things I had ever seen from that distance. Hey, hey, Jack the Ripper, you see that building? That red one. Art Deco, built in the 30s. Hard to believe it's still here today, huh? 1930s, gosh. Wish I'd been around back then. You've never been to England, have you? No, why? No reason. I said something polite, 
trying to comprehend the city inside which 50 years could be considered a long time. Oh, now that one there, that's one of my favorites. It's the original Brown Derby building. It's shaped like a hat. How far did Tink's place from here? No more than 15 minutes. Tink's real excited. When she heard you were in town, she was so excited. I'm looking forward to seeing her again, too. Tink's real name was Tinkerbell Richmond. No lie. She was staying with friends in a small apartment clump somewhere about a half an hour's drive from downtown L.A. She was ten years older than me, in her early thirties. She had glossy black hair and red, puzzled lips and very white skin, like Snow White in the fairy stories. The first time I met her, I thought she was the most beautiful woman in the world. Tink had been married for a while at some point in her life and had a five-year-old daughter called Susan. I had never met Susan. When Tink had been in England, Susan had been staying on in Seattle with her father. People named Tinkerbell named their daughters Susan. Memory is the great deceiver. Perhaps there are some individuals whose memories act like tape recordings, daily records of their lives complete in every detail, but I am not one of them. My memory is a patchwork of occurrences, of discontinuous events roughly sewn together. The parts I remember, I remember precisely, whilst other sections seem to have vanished completely. I do not remember arriving at Tink's house, nor where her flatmate went. What I remember next is sitting in Tink's lounge with the lights low, the two of us next to each other, on the sofa. You look wonderful. Well, so do you. You look amazing. Jesus, how long has it been? Oh, never mind that. Let me look at you. We made small oh, talk. Your still the same. It had been perhaps a year since we had seen one another. But a 22-year-old boy has little to say to a 32-year-old woman, and soon, having nothing in common... I pulled her to me. She snuggled close with a kind of sigh and presented her lips to be kissed. In the half-light, her lips were black. We kissed for a little, and I stroked her breast through her blouse on the couch. Honey, we can't have sex. I've got my period. Fine. I can give you a blowjob, if you'd like. I nodded assent. And she unzipped my jeans and lowered her head to my lap. After I had come, she got up and ran into the kitchen. I heard her spitting into the sink and the sound of running water. I remember wondering why she did it, if she hated the taste that much. Then she returned, and we sat next to each other on the couch. Susan's upstairs asleep. She's all I live for. Would you like to see her? I don't mind. We went upstairs. Tink led me into a darkened bedroom. There were child scrawl pictures all over the walls, wax crayon drawings of winged fairies and little palaces, and a small fair-haired girl was asleep in the bed. I love the drawings. Did she do them? Yes, she did. My little angel. She loves drawing. Isn't she beautiful? She takes after her father. We went downstairs. We had nothing else to say. Nothing else to do. Tink turned on the main light. 
for the first time I noticed tiny crow's feet at the corners of her eyes, incongruous on her perfect Barbie doll face. Would you like a ride back? If you don't mind leaving Susan alone. She shrugged, and I pulled her to me for the last time. At night, Los Angeles is all lights and shadows. A blank here in my mind. I simply don't remember what happened next. She must have driven me back to the place where I was staying. How else would I have gotten there? I do not even remember kissing her goodbye. Perhaps I simply waited on the sidewalk and watched her drive away. Perhaps. I do know, however, that once I reached the place I was staying, I just stood there, unable to go inside to wash and then to sleep, unwilling to do anything else. I was not hungry. I did not want alcohol. I did not want to read or talk. I was scared of walking too far, in case I became lost, bedeviled by the repeating motifs of Los Angeles, spun around and sucked in so I could never find my way home again. The central Los Angeles sometimes seems to me to be nothing more than a pattern like a set of repeating blocks, a gas station, a few homes, a mini-mall, and repeat until hypnotized. And the tiny changes in the mini-malls and the houses only serve to reinforce the structure. I thought of Tink's lips. Then I fumbled in a pocket of my jacket and pulled out a pack of cigarettes. I lit one, inhaled, blew smoke into the warm night air. There was a stunted palm tree growing outside the place I was staying, and I resolved to walk for a way, keeping the tree in sight, to smoke my cigarette, perhaps even to think. But I felt too drained to think. I felt very sexless, and very alone. A block or so down the road, there was a bench, and when I reached it, I sat down. I threw the stub of the cigarette onto the pavement hard and watched it shower orange sparks. Hey. Hey, pal. You buy a cigarette out of you. here. Jesus. You startled me. I'm sorry, I didn't see you. He did not look old, although I would not have been prepared to say how old he was. Late thirties, perhaps mid-forties. He wore a long, shabby coat, colorless under the yellow street lamps, and his eyes were dark. Here, a quarter. Eh, Twenty-five cents for a smoke. Take it. It's a good price. Keep your money. It's free. Have it. He took the cigarette. I passed him a book of matches. It advertised a telephone sex line. I remember that. And he lit the cigarette. Here. Keep them. I always wind up accumulating books of matches in America. You people just give them away. Where I come from, you have to pay for them. Is that a fact, huh? He sat on the bench beside me and smoked his cigarette. When he had smoked it halfway down, he tapped the lighted end off on the concrete, stubbed out the glow, and placed the butt of the cigarette behind his ear. I don't smoke much. Pity you're wasted, though. 
idiots. Did you see that? I could have killed someone. I owe you. Sorry? I owe you something. A cigarette and the matches. You wouldn't take the money. But I owe you. Nah, but it's just a cigarette. I figure if I give people cigarettes, then if ever I'm out, maybe people will give me cigarettes. Don't worry about it. You're English, right? Yes. That's that thing the English do. Uh, they say something like it's a joke, even though they mean it. So, you want to hear a story? True story. Your stories always used to be good payment. These days, eh, not so much. I sat back on the bench, and the night was warm, and I looked at my watch. It was almost one in the morning. In England, a freezing new day would already have begun. A work day would be starting for those who could beat the snow and get into work. Another handful of old people and those without homes would have died in the night from the cold. Sure, why not? Tell me a story. <coughs> Sorry. The first thing I remember was the word. And the word was God. Sometimes when I get really down, I remember the sound of the word in my head. Shaping me. Forming me. Giving me life. The word gave me a body. Gave me eyes. And I opened my eyes and I saw the light of the silver city. I was in a room. A silver room. And there wasn't anything in it except me. In front of me was a window that went from floor to ceiling, open to the sky. And through the window I could see the spires of the city. And at the edge of the city, the dark. I don't know how long I waited there. I wasn't impatient or anything, though. I remember that. It was like I was waiting until I was called, and I knew that sometime I would be called. And if I had to wait until the end of everything and never be called, why, that was fine, too. But I'd be called. I was certain of that. And then I'd know my name. And my function. Through the window, I could see silver spires. And in many of the other spires were windows. And in the windows, I could see others like me. That was how I knew what I looked like. You wouldn't think it of me, seeing me now, but I was beautiful. I've come down in the world away since then. I was taller then, and I had wings. They were huge and powerful wings, with feathers the color of mother of pearl. They came out from just between my shoulder blades. They were so good, my wings. Sometimes I'd see others like me, the ones who'd left their rooms who were already fulfilling their duties. I'd watch them soar through the sky from spire to spire, performing errands I could barely imagine. The sky above the city was a wonderful thing. It was always light, although lit by no sun, lit perhaps by the city itself. But the quality of light was forever changing. Now pewter-colored light, then brass, then a gentle gold, or a soft and quiet amethyst. 
You know what amethyst is. It's a, it's a kind of purple stone. Yes, I know that. My crotch felt uncomfortable. It occurred to me then that the man might not be mad. I found this far more disquieting than the alternative. I don't know how long it was that I waited in my room. Well, time didn't mean anything, not back then. We had all the time in the world. The next thing that happened to me was when the angel Lucifer came to my cell. He was taller than me, and his wings were imposing, his plumage perfect. He had skin the color of sea mist, and curly silver hair, and these wonderful gray eyes. I say he, but you should understand, none of us had any sex to speak of. <laughs> Smooth and empty. Nothing there between the legs, you know? Lucifer shone. I mean it, he glowed from inside, all angels do. They're lit up from within. And in my cell, the angel Lucifer burned like a lightning storm. He looked at me, and he named me. You are Ragwell, the vengeance of the Lord. Yes, I see. I am Ragwell, I am vengeance. That is my name, that is my function. There has been a, a wrong thing, the first of its kind. You are needed. He turned and pushed himself into space, and I followed him. It's astonishing. It's wonderful. The Silver City, yes. It astonishes. It inspires wonder. It's all there is, you know. What about outside the city? What is that? It's called the dark. We do not go there. It is not of this place. I flew behind him across the silver city to the outskirts where the city stops and the darkness begins. And it was there, under a vast silver spire, that we descended to the street. And I saw the dead angel. The body lay crumpled and broken on the silver sidewalk. Its wings were crushed underneath it, and a few loose feathers had already blown into the silver gutter. The body was almost dark. Now and again a light would flash inside it, an occasional flicker of cold fire in the chest, or in the eyes, or in the sexless groin, as the last of the glow of life left it forever. Blood pooled in rubies on its chest and stained its white wing feathers crimson. It was very beautiful, even in death. It would have broken your heart. You must find who was responsible for this and how, and take the vengeance of the name on whoever caused this thing to happen. I know. The hunt and the retribution is why I was created. In the beginning, it is what I am. Who was this? The angel carousel. He worked in the hall of being, there. Impressive building. Perhaps. It serves its function. Do you know who did it yet? No, not yet. I leaned down to examine the body. All luminescence had by now left it. It was a dark thing. A parody of an angel. 
It had a perfect sexless face framed by silver hair. One of the eyelids was open, revealing a placid gray eye. The other was closed. There were no nipples on the chest and only smoothness between the legs. Help me turn him over. What happened to it? It's a mess. Let's see. Carousel's wings are broken and twisted. The back of the head staved in. I think its spine has been broken as well, in a couple of places. There's blood all over its back. Okay, let's turn him back again. His front is pretty clean. The only blood is in the chest area. Some kind of hole in its front. Look, if I probe it with my forefinger, it enters the body without difficulty. What have you learned? He fell, and he was mortally wounded before he fell. Somebody is responsible for this. Somebody made this happen. I will find you, whoever you are, and I will take the Lord's vengeance upon you. You're very certain? Yes. I have work to attend to. Before you go, who discovered the body? Was it you? Fanuel, the senior designer in the Hall of Being. You can find him inside. Yes, I can. Thank you, Lucifer. You are most welcome. Now, if you'll excuse me. He flapped his wings once, hard, and rose upwards. A gust of wind sent the dead angel's loose feathers blowing across the street. The man took the cigarette stub from behind his ear, lit it with a match. Waste not, want not. That's what they say, isn't it? That's what they say, yes. I could smell the ashtray smell of a dead cigarette, acrid and harsh. Then he pulled down to the unburnt tobacco and exhaled blue smoke into the night air. So, uh, the angel who had first discovered the body, it was called Fanwell. I spoke to him in the Hall of Being. Yeah, well, that was the spire beside which the dead angel lay. And in the hall hung the blueprints, maybe, for what it's going to be. All this. All what? The cars? The streets? L.A.? Yeah, all that and more. The universe. The universe? Fanwell was the senior designer. Working under him were a multitude of angels laboring on the details of the creation. I watched him from the floor of the hall. He hung in the air below the plan. And angels flew down to him, waiting politely in turn as they asked him questions, checked things with him, invited comment on their work. Eventually, he left them and came down to my level. You are Rogwell, are you not? What need of you of me? I hear you found the body. Poor Carousel, indeed I did. I was leaving the hall. There are a number of concepts we are currently constructing, and I wish to ponder one of them. A regret, by name. I was planning to get a little distance from the city. To fly above it, I mean, not to go into the dark outside. I wouldn't do that. Although, there has been some loose talk amongst... Well, but yes. I was going to rise and contemplate. I left the hall, and... Oh, poor foolish carousel. How could he do that to himself? How? You think his destruction was self-inflicted? But of course. 
carousel was working under me, developing a number of concepts that shall be intrinsic to the universe when its name shall be spoken. His group did a remarkable job on some of the real basics. Dimension was one, and sleep another. Oh, there were others. Uh, wonderful work. Some of his suggestions regarding the use of individual viewpoints to define dimensions were truly ingenious. Anyway, he had begun work on a new project. It's one of the really major ones, the ones that I would usually handle, or possibly even Zefkiel. But Carousel had done such sterling work. And his last project was so remarkable, something apparently quite trivial that he and Sirachwile elevated into, oh, but that is unimportant. It was this project that forced him into non-being. But none of us could ever have foreseen. What was his current project? I'm not sure that I can tell you. All the new concepts are considered sensitive and confidential until we get them into the final form in which they will be spoken. I felt myself transforming. I am not sure how I can explain it to you, but suddenly, I wasn't me. I was something larger. I was transfigured. I was my function. I am Rockwell, with the vengeance of the Lord. I serve the name directly. It is my mission to discover the nature of this deed and to take the name's vengeance on those responsible. My questions are to be answered. Yes, yes, of course. Uh, Carousel and his partner were researching death, cessation of life, an end to physical animated existence. They were putting it all together. But Carousel always went too far into his work. Oh, we had a terrible time with him when he was designing agitation. That was when he was working on emotions. You think Carousel died to, to research the phenomenon? Or because it intrigued him, or because he followed his research just too far. Yes. Ah, uh, I trust that you will repeat none of this to any unauthorized persons, Rogwell. What did you do when you found the body? I came out of the hall, as I said, and there was Carousel on the sidewalk staring up. I asked him what he was doing, and he did not reply. Then I noticed the inner fluid and that Carousel seemed unable, rather than unwilling, to talk to me. I was scared. I, I did not know what to do. The angel Lucifer came up behind me. He asked me if there was some, some kind, kind of problem, Fanwell. Indeed, yes. yes. This angel, Carousel, a bad thing has happened. A very bad thing. I showed him the body, and then... Then... His aspect came upon him, and he communed with the name. He burned so bright. He said, I shall fetch the one whose function embraces events such as this. And he left, to seek you, I imagine. As Carousel's death was now being dealt with, and his fate was no real concern of mine, I returned to work, having gained a new, and I suspect quite valuable perspective on the mechanics of regret. I am considering taking death away from the Carousel and Sirachwile partnership. I may reassign it to Zefkiel, my senior partner, if he is willing to take it on. Oh, he excels on contemplative projects. <laughs> Look, can we hurry this up? There are dozens of angels waiting to talk to me. I'm extremely busy. Mm. Who did Carousel work with? Who would have been the last to see him alive? 
You could talk to Sir Aquael, I suppose. He was his partner, after all. Now, if you'll excuse me. He returned to his swarm of aides, advising, correcting, suggesting, forbidding. Hey, did you see that? What? Over there by that car, a jackal. Coyote. Damn if I know what they're coming to the city for. Good story, huh? I've never heard anything like it. <laughs> okay. So, I went to talk to the dead angel's partner. Saraquiel was in the highest of the mezzanine galleries that ring the Hall of Being. As I said, the universe was in the middle of the hall, and it glinted and sparkled and shone. It went up quite a way, too. The universe you mentioned, it was what, a diagram? I don't quite understand. No, not really. It's kind of... That's sort of it. It was a blueprint, but it was full-sized, and it, it hung in the hall. All these angels went around, and they fiddled with it all the time. They were doing stuff with gravity and music and Clark and whatever. But it wasn't really the universe, not yet. It would be when it was finished, and it was time for it to be properly named. I'm sorry. I really don't see... Well, don't worry about it. Think of it as a model, if that makes it easier for you, or a map, or... What's the word? Prototype. Yeah. Yeah, Model T Ford Universe. You, you got to understand, a lot of the stuff I'm telling you, I'm translating already. I'm putting in a form you can understand. Otherwise, I couldn't tell the story at all. Look, do you want to hear it, or you want to keep asking questions? I want to hear it. Good, so shut up and listen. So I met Zaraquiel in the topmost gallery. There was no one else about, just him, and some papers, and some small, glowing models. I've come about Carousel. Carousel isn't here at this time, I'm afraid. I expect him to return shortly. Carousel won't be coming back. He stopped existing as a spiritual entity. He's dead? That's what I said. Do you have any ideas about how it happened? I... This is so sudden. I mean, he'd been talking about... But I had no idea that he would... Well, well, take it on to the next step. He got up and walked to the window. There was no view of the Silver City from his window, just a reflected glow from the city and the sky behind us, hanging in the air. And beyond that, the dark. The wind from the dark gently caressed Zoraquiel's hair as he spoke. I stared at his back and listened. Carousel is... No, was... That's right, isn't it? Was. He was always so involved and so creative, but it was never enough for him. He always wanted to understand everything, to experience what he was working on. He was never content to just create it, to understand it intellectually. He wanted all of it. All of it? Yes. That wasn't a problem before when we were working on properties of matter. But when we began to design some of the named emotions, he got too involved with his work. And our latest project was death. It's one of the hard ones. One of the big ones, too, I suspect. Possibly, it may even become the attribute that's going to define the creation for the created. If not for death, they'd be content to simply exist. But with death, well, their lives will have meaning. 
a boundary beyond which the living cannot cross. So you're saying you think he killed himself? I know he did. That's him, isn't it? Excuse me? The white and red dot on the sidewalk down there? Is that Carousel? I believe so. How can they just leave him there like that? Someone will clean up the mess. Who? I don't know who. But there will be an angel whose function it is to remove things that are unwanted. My function is discovery and vengeance. So how do you know that Carousel killed himself? How? There's no other possible explanation. Look, recently he'd begun asking questions. Questions about death. How could we know whether or not it was right to make this thing? To set the rules if we were not going to experience it ourselves? He kept talking about it. Didn't you wonder about this? Weren't you concerned? Not in the slightest. That is our function. To discuss, to, to improvise, to aid the creation and the created. We sort it out now so that when it all begins, it'll run like clockwork. Right now we're working on death. So obviously that's what we look at. The physical aspect, the emotional aspect, the philosophical aspect. So that was what Carousel was working on. That and the patterns. Carousel had the notion that what we do here in the Hall of Being creates patterns. That there are structures and shapes appropriate to beings and events that, once begun, must continue until they reach their end. For us, perhaps as well as for them. Conceivably, he felt this was one of his patterns. I see, I think. Did you know Carousel well? As well as any of us know each other. We saw each other here. We worked side by side. At certain times, I would retire to my cell across the city. Sometimes he would do the same. Hmm. Tell me about Fanwell. The boss? Honestly? He's officious. Doesn't do much. Farms everything out and takes all the credit. To hear him talk, you'd think that love was all his own work. But to his credit, he does make sure the work gets done. Zefkiel's the real thinker of the two senior designers, but he doesn't come here. He stays back in his cell in the city and contemplates, resolves problems from a distance. If you need to speak to Zefkiel, you go to Fanwell, and Fanwell relays your questions to Zefkiel. How about Lucifer? Tell me about him. Lucifer? The captain of the host? He doesn't work here. He has visited the hall a couple of times, though, inspecting the creation. They say he reports directly to the name. I have never spoken to him. Did he know Carousel? I, I doubt it. As I said, he has only been here twice. I have seen him on other occasions, though. Through the window over there. In flight. On his way somewhere. Where was he going? I... I don't know. It's beautiful, isn't it? The city from this height. And the darkness beyond the city. Yes. It's beautiful. It's all there is. I may want to talk with you some more later. Very good. Sir, do you know if they will be assigning me another partner for death? No, I'm afraid I don't. In the center of the Silver City was a park a place of recreation and rest. 
I found the angel Lucifer there beside a river. He was just standing, watching the water flow. Lucifer. Ragwell, are you making progress? I don't know. Maybe. I need to ask you a few questions. Do you mind? Not at all. How did you come upon the body? I didn't. Not exactly. I saw Fanwell standing in the street. He looked distressed. I inquired whether there was something wrong, and he showed me the dead angel. And I fetched you. I see. The water's so cold. Is that all? Not quite. What were you doing in that part of the city? I don't see what business that is of yours. It is my business, Lucifer. What were you doing there? I was walking. I do that sometimes. Just walk and think and try to understand. You walk on the edge of the city. Yes. That's all I want to know. For now. Who else have you talked to? Carousel's boss and his partner. They both feel that he killed himself, ended his own life. Who else are you going to talk to? Maybe everyone. All of them? There must be thousands of us, millions. You'd speak to each of us? If I need to. It's my function. I cannot rest until I understand what happened. And until the vengeance of the name has been taken on whoever was responsible. But I'll tell you something I do know. What would that be? Carousel didn't kill himself. How do you know that? I am vengeance. If Carousel had died by his own hand, there would have been no call for me, would there? He did not reply. I flew upwards into the light of the eternal morning. Hey, you got another cigarette on you? Here, obliged. Zefkiel's cell was larger than mine. It wasn't a place for waiting. It was a place to live and work and be. It was lined with books and scrolls and papers. And there were images and representations on the walls, pictures. I'd never seen a picture before. In the center of the room was a large chair. And Zefkiel sat there, his eyes closed, his head back. As I approached him, he opened his eyes. They burned no brighter than the eyes of any of the other angels I had seen, but somehow they seemed to have seen more. It was something about the way he looked. I'm not sure I can explain it. And he had no wings. Welcome, Rogwell. You are Zefkiel? I don't know why I asked him that. I mean, I knew who people were. Part of my function, I guess. Recognition. I know who you are. You know who I am. That's what I said, didn't I? Who am I? Now, you think I came here by accident? You think you met me by accident? There are no accidents. Now, you want to hear the story, or don't you? I want to hear it. Damn right. 
So I asked him if he was Zefkiel, and he said, Indeed, I am Zefkiel, yes. You are staring, Rockwell. I have no wings, it is true, but then my function does not call for me to leave this cell. I remain here and I ponder. Fanwell reports back to me, brings me the new things for my opinion. He brings me the problems, and I think about them. And occasionally I make myself useful by making some small suggestions. That is my function, as yours is vengeance. Yes. You are here about the death of the Angel Carousel. Yes. I did not kill him. When he said it, I knew he was telling the truth. Do you know who did? That is your function, is it not? To discover who killed the poor thing and to take the vengeance of the name upon him. Yes. What do you want to know? Do you know what Lucifer was doing in that part of the city before the body was found? I can hazard a guess. Yes? He was walking in the dark. Yes, of course he was. You know, I've almost got it. It's like having a shape in my mind or a pattern. I'm just missing one piece. Well, if I can do anything to give you your missing piece, Rugwell. Maybe you can. What can you tell me about love? Love? Ah, oh, yes, love. Well, it's what we call an emotion. And he told me. And I thought I had it all. I returned to the place where Carousel's body had been. The remains had been removed. The blood had been cleaned away, the stray feathers collected and disposed of. There was nothing on the silver sidewalk to indicate it had ever been there. But I knew where it had been. I ascended on my wings, flew upward until I neared the top of the spire of the Hall of Being. There was a window there, and I entered. Sarakwael was working there, putting a wingless mannequin into a small box. On one side of the box was a representation of a small brown creature with eight legs. On the other was a representation of a white blossom. Sarakwael? Hmm? Oh, it's you. Hello. Look at this. If you were to die and to be, let us say, put into the earth in a box, which would you want laid on top of you? A spider here? Or a lily here? The lily, I suppose. Yes. Well, that's what I think, too. But why? Spider, lily. Spider, lily. There's so much to do, Rogwell. So much to get right. And we only get one chance at it, you know. There'll just be one universe. We can't just keep trying until we get it right. I wish I understood why all this was so important to him. Do you know where Zephkiel's cell is? Yes. Uh, I mean, I've never been there, but I know where it is. Good. Go there. He'll be expecting you. I'll meet you there. I'm afraid it's quite out of the question. I, I have work to do. I can't just... You'll be there. Go now. <laughs> <laughs> 
He said nothing. He backed away from me, toward the window, staring at me. Then he turned and flapped his wings, and I was alone. I walked to the central well of the hole and let myself fall, tumbling down through the model of the universe. It glittered around me, unfamiliar colors and shapes seething and writhing without meaning. Interface. International. Intervention. Invasion. Interaction. Interest. Blue Moses. Blue Peter. Blue Pigeon. Blue Ruin. Blue Stocky. Blue Stocky. Maritime. Oceanic. Pelagic. Pelagian. Seaworthy. Thalassic. As I approached the bottom, I beat my wings, slowing my descent, and stepped lightly onto the silver floor. Fanwell stood between two angels who were both trying to claim his attention. Sir, excuse me. Sir, this won't take long. One at a time. You first. Hmm. No. No, I don't care how aesthetically pleasing it would be. We simply cannot put it in the center. But it would look so much better, and it's very appropriate. Background radiation would prevent any possible life forms from even getting a foothold. And anyway, it's too unstable. You'll need to completely rethink it. Maybe I'll put it out in the Milky Way somewhere. Yes, sir. Sir, I have the colors you were asking for. Okay, let's see them. Hmm, well, I like the magenta. So... That's green, is it? Well, it's not exactly how I'd imagined it, but hmm, leave it with me. I'll get back to you. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Fanwell. Oh, it's you again. Yes? I need to talk to you. Well, make it quick. I have much to do. If this is about Carousel's death, I have told you all I know. It is about Carousel's death, but I will not speak to you now, not here. Go to Zephkiel's cell. He is expecting you. I'll meet you there. I am far too busy for such nonsense. Go. Excuse me, sir. Just out of interest, does this look like green to you? Is it how you imagined green as a phenomenon? It could be. Not my department. Tell me something. If I can, sir. That thing. What's it going to be for? For? Why, it is the universe. I know what it's called, but what purpose will it serve? It is part of the plan. The name wishes it. He requires such and such to these dimensions and having such and such properties and ingredients. It is our function to bring it into existence according to his wishes. I am sure he knows its function, but he has not revealed it to me. Well, well I can see his point on that. Wheel right. Now gold squadron dive and break. Second phalanx up and left. Silver squadron spiral rise. Wait for it. Now. High above the city, a phalanx of angels wheeled and circled and dove. Each held a flaming sword which trailed a streak of burning brightness behind it, dazzling the eye. They moved in unison through the salmon pink sky. They were very beautiful. It was... You know, on summer evenings, when you get whole flocks of birds performing their dances in the sky, weaving and circling and clustering and breaking apart again. So just as you think you understand the pattern, you realize you don't. And you never will. It was like that. Only better.
Above me was the sky. Below me, the shining city, my home. And outside the city, the dark. Lucifer hovered a little below the host, watching their maneuvers, calling directions. Lucifer. Yes, Robin. Have you discovered your malfactor? I think so. I hope so. Will you accompany me to Zethkil's cell? There are others waiting for us there, and I will explain everything. Certainly. Azazel! An angel broke from the circle. The others adjusted almost imperceptibly to his disappearance, filling the space, so he could no longer see where he had been. Yes, sir. You called? I have to leave. You are in command, Azazel. Keep them drilling. They still have much to perfect. Yes, sir. We are left. Now, Gold Squadron, rise and break. Farewell. I shall not be long. He's my second in command. Bright, enthusiastic. Azazel would follow you anywhere. What are you training them for? War. With whom? How do you mean? Who are they going to fight? Who else is there? I do not know. But he has named us to be his army, so we will be perfect for him. The name is infallible and all just and all wise, Rogwell. It cannot be otherwise, no matter what... You were going to say... It is of no importance. We did not talk for the rest of the descent to Zephkiel's cell. I looked at my watch. It was almost three. A chill breeze had begun to blow down the L.A. street, and I shivered. You okay? You're not bored or nothing. I'm fine. Please carry on. I'm fascinated. It's a whodunit, isn't it? Ah, there you are, Rugwell. I believe you must be responsible for my visitors. They were waiting for Lucifer and me in Zephkiel's cell. Fanwell, Zarakwael, and Zephkiel. Zephkiel was sitting in his chair. Lucifer took up a position beside the window. I walked to the center of the room, and I began. I thank you all for coming here. You know who I am. You know my function. I am the vengeance of the name, the arm of the Lord. I am Raguel. The angel Carousel is dead. It was given to me to find out why he died, who killed him. This I have done. Now, the angel Carousel was a designer in the Hall of Being. He was very good, or so I am told. Lucifer, tell me what you were doing before you came upon Fanwell and the body. I have told you already. I was walking. Where were you walking? I do not see what business that is of yours. Tell me. Very well. I was walking in the dark. I have been walking in the darkness for some time now. It helps me to gain a perspective on the city, being outside it. I see how fair it is, how perfect. There is nothing more enchanting than our home, nothing more complete. Nowhere else that anyone would want to be. And what do you do in the dark, Lucifer? I walk. And 
There are voices in the dark. I listen to the voices. They promise me things, ask me questions, whisper and plead, and I ignore them. I steal myself and I gaze at the city. It is the only way I have of testing myself, putting myself to any kind of trial. I am the captain of the host. I am the first among the angels, and I must prove myself. Why did you not tell me this before? Because I am the only angel who walks in the dark. Because I do not want others to walk in the dark. I am strong enough to challenge the voices, to test myself. Others are not so strong. Others might stumble or fall. Thank you, Lucifer. That is all for now. Farewell. How long have you been taking credit for Carousel's work? I, 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 what, 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 what? Well? I, I would not take credit for another's work. But you did take credit for love. Yes, I did. Manuel, would you care to explain to us all what love is? Uh, well, yes, of, of course. Um, <clears throat> it's, um, it's a feeling of deep affection and attraction for another being, uh, often combined with uh, p passion or desire, uh, a need to be with another. Uh, the feeling that we have for the name, for our creator, that is love, amongst other things. Um, uh, love will be an impulse which will inspire and ruin in equal measure. And we are, we are very proud of it. Who did the majority of the work on love? No, don't answer. Let me ask the others first. Zefkil? When Fanuel passed the details on love to you for approval, who did he tell you was responsible for it? He told me it was entirely his project. Thank you, sir. Now, Sarakwael, whose was love? Mine. Mine and Carousel's. Perhaps more his than mine, but we worked on it together. You knew that Fanuel was claiming the credit for it. Yes. And you permitted this. He... He promised us that he would give us a good project of our own to follow. He promised that if we said nothing, we would be given more big projects. And he was true to his word. He gave us death. Well, Fanuel? It is true that I claimed that love was mine. But it was Carousel's and Sarakwael's. Yes. Their last project before death. Yes. That is all. Carousel was a remarkable designer. If he had one failing, it was that he threw himself too deeply into his work. Sarakwael. You're shivering, Sarakwael. Am I? Sarakwael. Who did Carousel love? Who was his lover? Well... How did you know? Just answer my question. I... I was. Do you want to tell me about it? No. But I suppose I must. Very well, then. We worked together. And when we began to work on love, we became lovers. It was his idea. We would go back to his cell whenever we could snatch the time. There we...
touched each other, held each other, whispered endearments and protestations of eternal devotion. His welfare mattered more to me than my own. I existed for him. When I was alone, I would repeat his name to myself and think of nothing but him. And when I was with him, nothing else mattered. Then why did you kill him? Because he would no longer love me. When we started to work on death, he, he lost interest. He was no longer mine. He belonged to death. And if I could not have him, then his new lover was welcome to him. I could not bear his presence. I could not endure to have him near me and to know that he felt nothing for me. That was what hurt the most. I thought, I hoped, that if he was gone, then I would no longer care for him. That the pain would stop. So I killed him. I stabbed him and I threw his body from our window in the Hall of Being. But the pain has not stopped. <laughs> Now what? I felt my aspect begin to come upon me. Felt my function possess me. I was no longer an individual. I was the vengeance of the Lord. Come close to me, Sir Raquel. Come very close. No. Please. No. I have a gift for you. No. He moved Please. close to me and I embraced him. I pressed my lips to his, forced my tongue into his mouth. We kissed. No. He closed his eyes. I felt it well up within me then, a burning, a brightness. From the corner of my eyes, I could see Lucifer and Fanuel averting their faces from my light. I could feel Zephiel's stare, and my light became brighter and brighter until it erupted. From my eyes, from my chest, from my fingers, from my lips, a white, searing fire. The white flames consumed Saraquiel slowly, and he clung to me as he burned. Soon there was nothing left of him. Nothing at all. I felt the flame leave me. I returned to myself once more. Manuel was sobbing. Lucifer was pale. Zefkiel sat in his chair, quietly watching me. You have seen the vengeance of the Lord. Let it act as a warning to you both. Manuel, Lucifer... It has. Oh, it has. Um, I, 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 I will be on my way, sir. I will return to my appointed post, if that is all right with you. Go. Nothing. There is nothing left of Sarakwael. You destroyed him. Look. No fragment of ash or bone or even a charred feather. It is as if he never existed at all. He existed, but he's gone. That was not right. <laughs> That was not just. It was justice. He killed another. He was killed in his turn. 
You called me to my function and I performed it. But he loved. He should have been forgiven. He should have been helped. He should not have been destroyed like that. That was wrong. It was the will of our creator, the will of the name. Then perhaps his will is unjust. Perhaps the voices in the darkness speak truly after all. How can this be right? It is right. It is his will. I merely performed my function. No. I must think on this. I will go now. Did you observe the liquid that came from Lucifer's eyes? Yes. It's called tears. How strange. Carousel was the first to love, but Lucifer was the first to shed tears. So, it is over. You have performed your function well, Raguel. Shouldn't you return to your cell to wait until you are next needed? So, Sir Raquel did it. A murder for love. Yes, I, I can understand that. It makes so much more sense than a motiveless death, doesn't it? The kind where you don't know why you did it. The kind you could never explain. I'll take a last cigarette from you now, if you're offering. Sure. You don't honestly expect me to believe any of this, do you? Hey, the story's not over yet, pal. Not quite. I knew that Zephkiel was right. But I couldn't have left then, not even if I had wanted to. My aspect had not entirely left me. My function was not completely fulfilled. And then it fell into place. I saw the whole picture... And like Lucifer, I knelt. I touched my forehead to the silver floor. No, Lord, not yet. Lord, indeed. Get up, Ragwell. It is not fitting for one angel to act in this way to another. It is not right. Get up. Father, you are no angel. Do you know what you're saying? Father, I was charged to discover who was responsible for Carousel's death. And I do know. You have taken your vengeance, Ragwell. Your vengeance, Lord. Ah, little Ragwell. The problem with creating things is that they perform so much better than one had ever planned. Shall I ask how you recognize me? I'm not certain, Lord. You have no wings. You wait at the center of the city, supervising the creation directly. When I destroyed Sirakwael, you did not look away. You know too many things. You... No, I do not know how I know. As you say, you have created me well. But I only understood who you were and the meaning of the drama we had enacted here for you. I saw Lucifer leave. What did you understand, child? Who killed Carousel? Or at least, who was pulling the strings? For example, who arranged for Carousel and Saraquiel to work together on love? 
knowing Carousel's tendency to involve himself too deeply in his work. Why should anyone have pulled the strings right well? Please get up or off your knees. Because nothing occurs without reason, and all the reasons are yours. You set Sarakwayel up. Yes, he killed Carousel, but he killed Carousel so that I could destroy him. And were you wrong to destroy him? It was my function. But I do not think it was just. I think perhaps it was needed that I destroy Sarakwayel in order to demonstrate to Lucifer the injustice of the Lord. And whatever reason would I have for doing that? I, I do not know. I do not understand. No more than I understand why you created the dark or the voices in the darkness, but you did. You caused all this to occur. Yes, I did. Lucifer must brood on the unfairness of Saraquel's destruction. And that, amongst other things, will precipitate him into certain actions. Poor, sweet Lucifer. His way will be the hardest of all my children. For there is a part he must play in the drama that is to come. And it is a grand role. What will you do now, Raguel? I must return to my cell. My function is now fulfilled. I have taken vengeance. And I have revealed the perpetrator. That is enough. But Lord... Yes, child. I feel dirty. I feel tarnished. I feel... befouled. Perhaps it is true that all that happens is in accordance with your will, and thus it is good. But sometimes you leave blood on your instruments. Perhaps I do. If you wish, Raguel, you may forget all of this. All that has happened this day. However, you will not be able to speak of this to any other angels, whether you choose to remember it or not. I will remember it. It is your choice. But sometimes you will find it is easier by far not to remember. Forgetfulness can sometimes bring freedom of a sort. Now, if you don't mind, there is work I should be getting on with. I stood up and walked to the window. I hoped you would call me back, explain every detail of his plan to me, somehow make it all better. But he said nothing, and I left his presence without ever looking back. The man was silent then, and he remained silent. I couldn't even hear him breathing. For so long that I began to get nervous, thinking that perhaps he'd fallen asleep or died. Then he stood up in the pre-dawn light. There you go, pal. Here's your story. 
Think it was worth a couple of cigarettes and a book of matches? Yes, it was. But what happened next? How did you... I mean, how did you get here? What happened? I left home. And I lost my way. And these days, home's a long way back. Sometimes you do things you regret, but there's nothing you can do about them. Times change. Doors close behind you. You move on, you know? Eventually, I wound up here. I used to say no one's ever originally from L.A. That's true as hell in my case. Stand up. Come here. What? Come here. Yes. Here. A gift for you. You kissed my cheek. Yes. Burns. Ah. It doesn't burn for long. You took something from me. You took something. No. I gave you something. Like the man said, forgetfulness is freedom of a sort. What did you do to me? I never fell. You understand? When the others fell, I didn't fall. I'm still doing my job as I see it. Doesn't matter how long it is. I still want to go home. You'll go home soon. I'll see you around, pal. The man walked away down the darkened street and I sat on the bench and watched him go. I felt like he had taken something from me. Although I could no longer remember what. And I felt like something had been left in its place. Absolution, perhaps, or innocence. Although of what or from what, I could no longer say. An image from somewhere. A scribbled drawing of two angels in flight above a perfect city. And over the image, a child's perfect handprint which stains the white paper blood red it came into my head unbidden and I no longer know what it meant I stood up it was too dark to see the face of my watch but I knew I would get no sleep that day I walked back to the place I was staying to the house by the stunted palm tree to wash myself and to wait I thought about angels and about tink and I wondered whether love and death always went hand in hand. The next day the planes to England were flying again. I felt strange. Lack of sleep had forced me into that miserable state in which everything seems flat and of equal importance. When nothing matters, and in which reality seems scraped thin and threadbare. The taxi journey to the airport was a nightmare. I was hot and tired and testy. I wore a t-shirt in the L.A. heat. My coat was packed at the bottom of my luggage, where it had been for the entire stay. The airplane was crowded, but I didn't care. Newspaper, sir? We've got the International Herald Tribune, USA Today, and the L.A. Times. L.A. Times, please.
must be pretty interesting. You've been reading that same page over and over for an hour now. I have. I'm sorry. Would you like the paper? Truth to tell, I'm so tired that the words go in one eye and out the other. I can't remember a single thing I've read. Here. Well, if you're sure you've finished with it. Oh, completely. Forever. I had lied. One story I had read stayed with me. Somewhere in the back of the paper was a report of a triple murder. Two women and a small child. No names were given, and I do not know why the report should have registered as it did. Soon I fell asleep. I dreamed about making love to Tink, while blood ran sluggishly from her closed eyes and lips. The blood was cold and viscous and clammy. And I awoke, chilled by the plane's air conditioning, with an unpleasant taste in my mouth. My tongue and lips were dry. Bad dream? No, just something I can't even remember. You're white as a ghost. You scared of flying? No, I love flying. I looked out of the scratched oval window, stared down at the clouds, and it occurred to me then, not for the first time. That the clouds were in actuality another land, where everyone knew just what they were looking for and how to get back where they started from. Staring down at the clouds is one of the things I have always liked best about flying. That and the proximity one feels to one's death. I wrapped myself in the thin aircraft blanket and slept some more. But if further dreams came, then they made no impression upon me. A blizzard blew up shortly after the plane landed in England, knocking out the airport's power supply. I was alone in an airport elevator at the time, and it went dark and jammed between floors. Hello. A dim emergency light flickered on. I pressed the crimson alarm button until the batteries ran down, and it ceased to sound. Then I shivered in my L.A. T-shirt in the corner of my little silver room. I watched my breath steam in the air, and I hugged myself for warmth. There wasn't anything in there except me, but even so, I felt safe and secure. Soon, someone would come and force open the doors. Eventually, somebody would let me out, and I knew that I would soon be home. So there you go. There's Murder Mysteries by Neil Gaiman, as presented by Seeing Ear Theater. <laughs> There's a lot to unpack with this story, and I know it's been long, so I don't want to spend too much time talking about it here at the end. Before I played the story, I, I talked about Brian Dennehy and Michael Emerson as the notable actors uh, from this story. But I thought all of the actors did a good job. I thought this was very well done. So let me... Let me go through the other names of the cast, and maybe you'll recognize these names. I didn't. Well, let me just go through the whole cast. So we got Brian Dennehy as Raguel, the Angel of Vengeance, which was kind of cool. I like that, too. Anne Bobby as Tink's friend. Uh, Christopher Burns as Saraquel. I don't know if I'm getting all these right. Uh, Tom Christopher as Lucifer. I thought he had a strong voice. 
uh, Ed Dennehy as Zef Keel. And I don't know if that... I'm, I'm assuming that might be Brian Dennehy's son, right? Um, I don't know. <laughs> uh, Michael Emerson as the narrator. Tracy Godfrey as Tinkerbell Richmond. And Evan Pappas as Fanuel, or the Lord. Um, I don't recognize those other names, but maybe you will. I, I figured I'd give them credit for that. This was produced and directed by Brian Smith. And the sound design was by John Colucci. I just wanted to give those credits out... Uh, because it wasn't said in the episode, and I have that information, so I should share that uh, so that proper credit is due. Uh, I do like the religious overtones. It, it's a different take on the heavens and the angels and Lucifer, and um, it's it's very interesting the way he, he plays with those. And, and the beginning of the world, how the world was created, and and all these different angels that were a part of it. And, you know, I think a lot of people, religious people, get offended when a story comes up and, and uses the Christian references, the biblical references, and then adds things to it and changes things. And it doesn't quite meet up with, you know, what they believe. And, you know, this, this doesn't represent what I believe, but there's some very, very interesting things being done there, uh, especially, I think, between Lucifer and Fanuel or the Lord there. Uh, that he's walking in the dark, that the Lord wanted him to think for himself and not just do whatever he was told, like there was a purpose behind I thought that was a very interesting idea that Gaiman came up with. And I think it's played well here. And I could definitely envision like a series of stories where we follow Raguel on these acts of vengeance or these missions of, of exacting vengeance on people in the world. Uh, very interesting. Uh, and this this is a great setup for that, where you kind of get to understand where he comes from and a little bit about how he works. But yeah, this, this could definitely be a series, and maybe it has been. I, again, I don't know all of Neil Gaiman's work as well as others might. Uh, what else was well, the framing device? You know, I enjoyed Michael Emerson and the framing device. And I don't know if it's the writing or the adaptation or just the the general sound design, but. It, it was hard, harder for me to follow that, you know. I didn't, and they probably didn't want to spell out that he had killed the the two women and the little girl until the end of the story. You know, that was definitely going to be saved for the end, so that we realized, oh crap, Raguel was here to exact vengeance on the the narrator in the story. But uh, I don't know. It was it was a little bit more confusing than it should have been. I thought at the beginning. It was, it was a little bit hard to understand why we were following this character. There was nothing really interesting about him or his personality or what he was doing that was very interesting. And it's not until Brian Dennehy shows up and starts telling this story of the creation of the world and his role as vengeance. But it does set up why, they, why he's talking, why he's telling this story. And it pays off, I guess, at the end. So I guess what I'm saying is I enjoy the story inside the framing device more than I enjoyed the story as a whole. Does that make sense? Do you feel the same way? <laughs> Let me know. Um, but yeah, everything about Raguel I really liked. You know, I like how he just knew things because it was his job to know those things. And, you know, and that his countenance changed and his voice changed. And when he needed to compel somebody to do something, he was able to do it. That that was kind of neat. I like that. You know, and I guess to close this out, you know, I... Like I was trying to say before, as a religious person myself, that 
as a Christian, I'm not offended by uh, works of fiction that use iconography or terminology from the Bible and use Christian phrases or things like that or concepts in fiction and get creative with it like Neil Gaiman did here. I'm not offended by that. I guess the caveat on that is if they're being obviously belligerent or knocking religion down in a mean way. You know, I, I can understand being playful with it and an author who is not a believer and even maybe one who is that is just, you know, playing with the tropes <laughs> or playing with the ideas um, as long as they're not doing it. What's the word I'm looking for? And even poking fun at these things if they're not a believer. As long as it's not done in a spiteful, mean-spirited, religious people are stupid kind of way, then I do take offense at that. But not at just somebody being creative with ideas and using these concepts uh, for their own story. I'm fine with that. I'm not offended. And it kind of draws me in sometimes. Uh, It doesn't change what I believe. And it's not really meant to. Anyway, <laughs> getting far too into that. This you've been with me for a long time. I appreciate I appreciate you listening to this podcast. If you'd like to get a hold of me, you can do so by sending an email to journeyintopodcast at gmail.com. I do have a voicemail line if you're if you're so inclined. That number is 77J into 107. You can get a hold of me on Facebook and Twitter, just like I've said before. Um, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to to hear your suggestions and your thoughts about these episodes. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash journey into and look at the different ways that you could support the show. You could start for just a dollar a month. I'm always disappointed when I go to somebody's Patreon and the start is at $5 and $10. And I understand as a business model, that's that's probably a good thing to do. But I also want to make it accessible so that somebody could join at $1 a month. And I welcome that because that's one more person in the community on Patreon. One more person that can vote in the polls. One more person who can, who can uh, get extra content. Some of the extra things that I put on, put out and get early episodes. And I do, once a month, record a special message just for the people that support me on Patreon. So if you're interested, uh, please check that out. You can also support the podcast by uh, sharing links to it on social media. You can go to iTunes and give it a rating or whatever other podcasting platform you might use. Um, All of that helps. All of that makes this podcast more noticeable to other people. Again, thanks for joining me on this episode. And uh, until next time, kids, stay safe out there and journey on. The Journey Into Podcast is produced under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means that you can share it as much as you would like, but please do not change it or profit from it. And please let people know where you got it from. The theme music for this podcast is provided by Man in Space. <laughs>